Welcome to the Change Podcast. My name is Brent Stone, and I'm here with one of my good friends, Michael Scholes. And today is a little bit different. If you've tuned into previous episodes where I've had Michael on here, he has been interviewing me. Well, today we're going to ask him about the experience um, that Jesus uh, changed his life in. And he has an incredible story, and it's 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 over the course of, of, of many years. And so I'm just going to let him roll. And then when he gets to a point where he feels like we can pause, I'll ask the next thing. But I'm only looking for two questions. What was the transformative experience where Jesus left you changed? And then the second is, how have you walked out that change since? And so I think Michael may end up answering all of that in one shot, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. Hey, we'll see. Michael, thank you for being on. Absolutely. It's awesome to be here. Fantastic. So, hey, take it away. Hey, so, okay. So I have an interesting testimony uh, in my encounter. I've had multiple encounters with Jesus and um, they've happened in different places. So I'm going to give you a really, really brief synopsis of my, of my early encounter. Um, and then I'll move into um, kind of the latter encounter. So the, um, my first encounter, I, I have to say this because I'm, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, St. Louis, Missouri is a predominantly um, very, very strong Catholic um, part of the country. And so I was uh, raised Catholic. And so I was baptized as a baby, all this stuff. And so um, all the traditional Catholic stuff. So very religious. Um, my parents weren't, we weren't crazy religious, but we, you know, we were church going people and, you know, my parents are amazing examples of Jesus to me throughout the years. But so my mom in, uh, there was a, back in the early seventies, early to mid seventies during the Jesus movement, the Catholic church had a moment of, um, empowerment by the Holy spirit. So there, there was a charismatic move inside of the Catholic church. My mom got caught up in this charismatic move. So my mom is baptized in the Holy spirit, you know, move in those circles. Well, she felt like she wasn't, um, the Catholic church wasn't serving her with regards to that experience with regards to those things. So she was seeking out for more. So she went to this little, this little four square Pentecostal church on Wednesday nights around the corner. It was like literally around the corner from us, like maybe three blocks from where I was, where I grew up. And I mean, when I say little, I mean, there's probably 20 people in the congregation. Well, they were having a revival and I, I, this, I'm nine and a half. I just happened to go to this revival because my mom's kind of dragging me along because she didn't want to get a babysitter. So I go there. And um, during that meeting, there's a revivalist there. There's an evangelist. And, and he's, I feel like he's speaking to me. And I tell my mom, I said, he's calling people up to the altar. I said, I feel like I need to go. And she says, well, go. And so I go and I dedicate my life to Christ at that moment. Well, that's Okay, so I'm nine and a half. You go, you, that's cool. You know, it's all great. But at the same moment, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Like literally, boom, same moment, same everything. Um, not getting into to, too much of the stuff that people would consider weird, but I fell out, <laughs> came back up, um, um, speaking in awesome. tongues. Um, I'm just like, so, so I have this crazy thing going on. So you go home, you're processing that. My mom's in, my mom's new to the charismatic move. So she's like, she doesn't know what to do. I'm in the Catholic church. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm nine and a half. I don't know. I have no clue. So um, my parents, the Catholic 
school system, I lived in St. I live in St. Louis, like, like I said, but the Catholic school system was like the way to get an education in St. Louis. So my parents didn't like I they didn't put me in public school. We're still going. We go have to go to the Catholic church because you pay for the school on Sunday morning. You have to give your money to pay the school. That's how they they kind of get you to go to church. I call it tagging base. You got to go tag base. You got to go fill. Got to go give them your money for your tuition in the service. So we're still doing. I'm still going to the Catholic church. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm still I'm still very very confused as to what to do. Go into the go into the the youth group at the um, at the little little four square church. Not really gaining any ground. Just kind of out there doing my thing. So. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to get ready to figure out where I'm going to go to high school. Well, in St. Louis at that time, we had the high school seminary system. So like literally the Catholic, the Catholic schools had, you could start studying to be a priest in high school. And so I literally felt, I felt like I had this amazing call in my life. So what does a Catholic kid do when he has a call in his life? You go to be a priest. So I went to four years of Catholic uh, studying to be a priest. So it was literally, it was... It's a a very, very great education, but there was a huge emphasis on religiosity and on, and on the things of the Catholic church. But what I found during that journey, so now I'm in the, I'm in the seminary system doing my thing. Um, I'm a musician. Um, I figured out when I was about, I have to tell this part of it. When I was about five years old, I figured out that I could sing. I started singing in church. So like I was the kid who, I was that kid who like went up on at Christmas and sang solos, you know, I'm like six years old. So I'm singing, doing this stuff. My family becomes a choir because my mom and dad, and my sister can sing. We become a choir and we start become, we do this itinerant ministry around the Catholic church in St. Louis. Absolutely hilarious. We're like, we're like awesome. the guys who we had drums and guitars and stuff when they didn't have drums and guitars. Like we're the crazy, we're the crazy hippie guys. So anyway, so I have to get that segment about the music. So, um, so the whole time I'm on this journey, I still have this love for music. And um, as I'm doing this, I, uh, I'm i in the Catholic seminary. I decide I don't think I'm going to be a priest um, for, there's some obvious reasons. The, the whole being celibate thing was like not, not sounding too good to me, like a life with guys. I really liked girls and thought, and I had a girlfriend and like going, so... But this journey kept me really, really focused on Christ. Um, and so as I'm focused on Christ, it, it uh, keeps me away from a lot of the sin that teenagers walk in. Not that I didn't have my temptations, not that I didn't have my deal, but I did, really didn't succumb to it um, at that moment. So the journey with Jesus is that I'm processing all my information through the Catholic Church. So everything that I'm sensing inside of my spirit, I'm processing through the Catholic church, um, which for me was a failed model because I went then started challenging my, the, acad- the academics of who was teaching me. I started challenging them on the Catholic faith. I was like, I don't see this in scripture. So they basically, yeah. they kind of called me a heretic. And so I graduated <laughs> from there. Well, you but don't see it the way we see it. You're out of here. They were they were not happy with the fact, and the, and they basically came to a point where I was in a conversation. I said, "This isn't in the Bible." And I said, "Well, we're not 
we're not really all that concerned about the Bible. We're more concerned about dogma. And I just went, okay. And I mean, I'm, I'm 17 years old going, this is not right. And so, um, so that was cool. So, but when that starts to happen, I start to, I'm starting to lose my faith a little bit because the people who I'm putting my trust in, you know, to teach me weren't teaching me. So I'm going on my own. I'm 17 years old. I don't, you know, I don't know my rearing from a hole in the ground. As far as I don't have no mentors, I have nobody in that space other than my parents. And my parents are still struggling to walk this out. So um, I, was a, I was a soccer player and a musician, and I acted in the theater. And so I, um, I was given four full-ride scholarships um, to multiple colleges throughout the Midwest. Um, I was playing in a band at that, mo- at that time. I started playing music in... In nightclubs when I was 14. So this whole time I'm still playing, I'm playing music in clubs and stuff and, and still in church in clubs doing this whole duality crazy thing. So in that space, what ended up happening was I, um, I kind of stepped away from Jesus and got into the music thing and I didn't go to, didn't go to college. I decided to be a traveling musician. So, so not going to give you the glories of that, but there's lots of stuff that goes on with that. Um, did did was, was, did your hair look different back then? Uh, yeah, I had hair all the way down my back. It was you know I was like sixty pounds lighter, and I was I was uh, you know I don't know. Since you're the lead vocalist, were you like like the like Kiss, where you could like you stick your tongue no, out? And like, no, I wanted I wanted I literally I mean if you were I really wanted to be David Lee Roth from Van Halen. That was like my thing. So. I was, we were hair metal. It was, it was the early eighties. It was, you know, or actually it was late eighties. It was 87 when this all was going down. You you all opened for some big names, didn't you? We did. We did. We had, we had lots of fun and uh, we traveled and we did. And, you know, I'm not going to get into that part of the story, but (laughs) just know that the journey of a musician, I, it, I, yeah, I succumbed to the journey of a musician. Sure. So I basically turned my back on Christ at that moment, but so I'm following my dream being this musician. So, um, this is where the, this is where the journey gets interesting. So I kind of fell away, but yet I still felt, um, I still went to church. I was still going to the Catholic church. I still would go because I felt like I felt this, I felt this need. Um, I wasn't participating in the sacraments. I wasn't doing reconciliation. I wasn't doing communion. I wasn't doing that stuff because I felt like I was not in that space. Um, so I'm going to fast forward a couple years. I meet my wife. Okay. Um, my wife and I, we get married. Um, we have a son. Our first son is born. Um, we're still going to, my family still acquired. When I came in town, I'm, I'm home. I still sing with my parents and my family at the church, which is crazy. Cause I'm like, I'm in the Catholic church. And I have this long hair and the whole thing. The people just looked at me like, what the heck just walked in? Uh, but it was, it was cool. And so I still felt, like I said, I still felt this draw to God. I still felt my heart, but even though I wasn't living it out, um, full throttle. So, um, I'm going to fast forward two years. This is, um, in 1996, this is where my second encounter starts to happen. So I am playing in, I'm playing in a band, um, very successful band. And our bass player, um, was a born again, believer, um, awesome on fire, um, believer. And he just kept, he would just sit down and have conversation and just like, man, you should, you know, you know, Jesus, you should come hang out again. Blah, blah. I'm like, he's like, you should come to a different church. Don't go to the Catholic church, come to this other church and hang out. Well, 
this church in St. Louis, there's, there was a church that was kind of birthed out of the Jesus movement. And they were very, you know, receptive to long hairs and musicians and artists and things like that. So I went and they had service on Friday nights. So I went to this service and, um, first service I went to, I rededicated my life. It was just like, I was, I felt like this is what I've been missing. So my wife knows nothing. My wife goes to church with me or she was going to church with me up to this point, but she hadn't, she, she was a cheester. She'd only gone to, gone to church twice a year for her entire life and not even, not even every year. So she doesn't really, we didn't get in our relationship because we love Jesus together. We got in our relationship because we thought each other was hot and we wanted to, you know, make babies. That's what, that's why we were doing it. Hold on. on. You said something that you need to define Mm -hmm. for people listening to this. You said a cheester. Will you explain that? Yeah. You only go to church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) I I knew what it was. I just wanted you to say it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah. So that's a, that's a church. That's a church term. Uh, for those of us who've been in, in the, uh, in the church world in leadership, but, uh, so, so it's 1996. My, uh, my wife is, um, this is October of 96. My wife is pregnant with our second son. She's having a rough pregnancy. My wife and I are pretty close to divorce, um, because I'm traveling all over the country playing music. I'm pretty self-centered jerk at that point. Um, but I rededicate my life. And so things start, things change. So I'm like, but I'm still this musician. I'm still doing my thing. So on December 20th, 1996, my son is born, my son, Alexander, my second born. Um, and he is born when he came out of, he had an emergency C-section. When he came out, um, he was blue, not breathing. Um, they resuscitated him and we came to find out that he, um, not only did he have Down syndrome, but he had a um, congenital heart defect called uh, um, total septal defect, which means that the wall that separates the heart didn't grow and all the blood is just mixing in the middle. So he's basically in congestive heart failure every day. So this is just, so this is the interesting part of the, of the encounter is that God was setting us up. Okay. So I rededicate my life to Christ in October. My wife's freaking out because I'm kind of becoming this radical Christian. She doesn't want anything to really doesn't want anything to do with it. My son is born. He's sick my wife goes into automatically goes into a massive depression. She's had a child with, with down syndrome. She, the child is basically dying every day. We have to give him medicine for him not to die every day ourselves. The doctor sends us home with medicine that can either kill him or have him live depending on how much you give him. And I'm talking like a little bit, like the kid spits out, you know, give it to him in a little dropper. And if he spits out too much, you have to figure out how much he spit out. If you give him too much, he's going to die. If you don't give him enough, he's going to die. So she's in this, we're in, we're in this very, very stressful situation. I'm still going, at this point, I'm still going to, I'm doing a bunch of work in Nashville. I spend about three days a week in Nashville. So I'm in Nashville going away with her, with a sick baby by herself. You know, that's kind of a jerk move right there. I'm just going to say that. Um, yeah. But as those of us who have careers and stuff, sometimes we think that, well, this is going to be the most beneficial thing for me to do right now because this is going to help us get to our goal and getting to our goal will give us all the money and everything that we need in order for us to take care of this situation. Been there. I've sang that song. (laughs) Exactly. So, so what's really interesting about this time is that um, my wife started to go to this church with me. Um, She had never been in it. So, so those of, 
on some, there's going to be some folks in here who are listening who aren't charismatic. And when you're not charismatic, you walk into a, a full throttle charismatic church. It can be very interesting. So my wife literally sat in the back row going, what the heck is going on? What are these people doing? What is this tongues? What is this stuff? Why are they, what is this prophecy coming from? Why are people, blah, 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 all this stuff. So we said, okay. She said, okay, she's hanging out because she needs to, she needs to be there. She's not sensing the, the, that she needs to meet Jesus at this point. She's just there because she feels like it's the right thing to do. We have a friend of ours um, that my son was going to actually, my oldest son was going to preschool with their kid and they went to this church with us. And she invited my wife to come to a, um, a women's uh, meeting. They have women's meetings on Wednesday, Tuesday, or Wednesday mornings, whatever it was, some deal. And this lady picks up my wife, takes her to the meeting and uh, sits her, sits her on the stairs on the side of the, and she leaves. She had something else she had to do. So she's made sure my wife was there. And that day on the steps of that church, my wife gave her life to Christ and evidence of speaking in tongues, same day. Wow. Um, she calls me up. This is, this is in the days of, this is in the days of pay phones. Um, and she calls me on the pay phone. I'm at work. I'm at my dad's printing shop. Cause I'm, when I didn't, uh, when I wasn't traveling, I worked at my dad's printing shop. Uh, she calls me up and says, Hey, by the way, I got uh, saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit today. Like just nonchalantly, I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so that moment, our journey started. And so she was set free from all this anxiety. She was set free from all. And then we had this group of people who now are surrounding us with our son. And so we're, so we're praying and we're together and we're growing and we're doing all these because we're together. Now we have this unity in Christ. And so I don't feel like I'm dragging her along. We're very equally yoked in this space. She goes, she, even though she was a new believer, she was like full throttle. Like she was, we were Man. radical um, believers. It's awesome. And we had these people around us who were radical believers and people who, and, and when I say radical, people take, sometimes take that word wrong. When I say radical, I mean, we were just, we were, we believe what the Bible said and we're doing it. Yeah. And people think that's radical. I don't think that's radical anymore in my walk. I just go, we do what the Bible says. And people think it's weird because they're like, why would you do that? Well, it's because that's what the Bible says to do. You like, you like hear these children over in like, you know, underdeveloped countries and they get some scripture read to them from, you know, like Matthew and it's like the Beatitudes or they, they get some verses just like, you know, go forth and just in the name of Jesus, just heal people. And you have little kids like laying hands on people and people mm -hmm. are getting healed and they're just like, oh, well, they, they're not allowed to do that. Like, what do you mean they're not allowed to do that? Like, no, this, is, this is Jesus. This is, this is like, <laughs> this is the part of the encounter. This is part of the deal where you go, I want to, I so sense the love of Jesus that I want to, I want to go be his hands and feet. Yeah. So, yeah. But we're, so we're in the middle of this crisis and we have the, we have, the, we have this church surrounding us and they're doing all these things. And we, but we're still, my son's still dying every day. We're still going through this process. So fast forward, um, but five months from that point and we have a cardiologist, we have a heart surgeon, we have all these people that want to help us. And we're meeting people and the cardiologist says to or the heart surgeon says to us, your son um, is probably not going to live 
because we can't do the surgery that we need to do to repair his heart until he's, his heart can take this much pressure. It has to be bigger. And so he said, he set up a surgery for June 10th, 1997. Um, and he said what he wanted to do is he wanted to band the aorta so that it would take the pressure off the heart. And this is, he's having this conversation with us around the round, right at about the third of June, third or third or fourth of June. And we're in his office and I say to him, okay, so June 10th, we're going to go in. What would it take for you to do the surgery that day? Like to fix his heart that day? Cause I don't want my son to die. What would it, what would it take for you to do it? And he kind of, he kind of smirked. He's a heart surgeon. They're kind of smug, even though he's a super nice guy. He's kind of smug, kind of like, you don't know what you're talking about. And he said, he said to my wife and I, he said his heart, the right ventricle of his heart would have to double in size in seven days. That's what would have to happen. And so I said, okay. And at that moment, I felt faith rise up in me. And I, and I said to him, you'll be doing the surgery on June 10th. And he just kind of looked at me and shook his head and like, okay, like kind of whatever, you know, walked out. So that time period, we, we were believers in praying for specifics. We were being trained that you, not only do you pray for the, for the big thing, but you have to pray for the specifics. So we knew now that what had to happen in order for my son's heart to be perfect, because that's what we're praying for. We're praying for a perfect heart. So if he's given a perfect heart, what does it look like? His right ventricle has to grow double in size in a week. So that's right. what we prayed. Yeah. So we prayed that day. We prayed that week. Everybody surrounding us, we went, we prayed, laid hands on the kid more times than he could probably, you know, he's probably looking at us like, what the heck? These people are laying hands on me again. But, um, on June 10th, I don't want to get too sappy. On June 10th, 1997, um, my wife and I handed off our son to a, uh, to a nurse who was going to, a surgery nurse who was going to walk him down a hallway to, um, so they could do this, um, banding of his heart. And I told the, um, I told the nurse, I said, how will we know if they're doing the surgery? And she said, well, they're not scheduled to do surgery today. I said, well, the doctor told me that if, if his heart will take the pressure, he'll do it. And she, she says, well, we do a test as soon as we get in there to test the pressure. See, so we have, and, uh, my wife and I moved in. So we handed him off and my wife and I went to the waiting room with my family who just a side note, my family believes that my wife and I are in a cult. My parents, even though my mom was a charismatic believer, we're like these yeah. people that are like, they just look at us like, my dad looked at, looked at me like I had lost my mind. Okay. So I don't want to belabor this. So 12 hours or 45 minutes later, the nurse comes in and she, they call the, the nurse didn't come in. They call to the, um, the, the station, the nurse's station in that waiting room. They had like a, they had a little nun sitting there who answered the phone and gave reports. And she, uh, she, the nurse or the nun says, um, Schultz family. And we're like, yeah, she goes, the nurse just wanted me to tell you that they're in. Well, we knew that what they're in meant was that his heart had grown. God had done a miracle that his heart grew so much that they could do the surgery. And so 
Fast forward 12 hours later with the surgery. Now, granted, I want to let you know that. So we prayed for his right ventricle to be to grow, but we're also praying for him to have a perfect heart. So um, 12 hours later, the doctor comes in and he's uh, he's he's standing up and he says to us, he goes, could you please sit down? And we all like our hearts all went. Oh. He's asked us to sit down. He goes, no, I've been in surgery 12 hours standing up. Can you please sit down? You know, he's like joking, like, hey, he goes, I just want to tell you that um, I've done a lot of surgeries. And this is the, to date. This is the most perfect surgery I've ever done. He goes, I felt he said, I felt like my hands weren't my hands. And he says, my mom prays for me. He goes, my mother prays for me. My mom's a little Catholic lady. And she prays for me every day. And I really felt like like God was, you know, involved in the surgery. I said, well, I think I think so, too. He says, but surgeries go bad. So I just want to let you know, don't be, don't be too optimistic. He goes, he's going to need between six and seven surgeries between now until when he's full grown. Because what they did, they, they basically just do a patch. Um, so to God's glory, my son was given a perfect heart that day. He's never had another surgery, ever. He has a perfect heart, just like we prayed for. So we encountered God that moment inside of, so God set us up. So we, we, I go to this church, my wife is pregnant. He's going bad. He's born. He's very sick. My wife gets saved in the interim. We sort of get surrounded by these people. We pray, we believe my son is healed. So here's what happens during the surgery. One of the doctors dropped an instrument. And cut the lymph duct of my son. So we have a perfect repair, but yet the enemy wants to steal this from us. The lymph duct is not going to kill him. He's not going to die. But it's a very, very arduous. So his heart surgery goes perfect. We spend nine weeks in the hospital. Nine weeks. My son... My wife and neither one of my wife and I were working. We quit working. We said we have to be here. That's what we felt God wanted us to do. So my son was a was a nursing baby. And one of the things with this with this injury was that you couldn't breastfeed. You couldn't have any fat. So he had to get this other supplement, call it. Um, but my wife didn't want to stop breastfeeding because she she believed that when he was God when this was done, she was still going to breastfeed her son. That's what she just believed. That's what we're going to. So my wife literally filled nothing. Just my wife filled freezers full of breast milk while he couldn't do that. So we're in there for, sure. we're in there for nine weeks. Yeah. But we've had this encounter with God. So what do we do with this encounter? My son, my son can't be by my wife. If he can't be by my wife, she, he screams when he's around her because he wants to eat. So she can't be with him. So I'm with him. And so we got the, the nurses said, hey, the best thing that we could do for you is we're going to get you this little red wagon. And you just walk him around, keep him quiet, you know, help him, help calm him down. So I'm walking him around the NICU, okay? Yeah. The neonatal intensive care unit, walking through the, and the PICU, I'm sorry, by that time it was the PICU, uh, whatever, whichever one it was. Anyway, we're walking around and I decided, I felt like God say, you need to pray for these people. So my wife and I spent nine weeks praying for people in this hospital. We saw miracle after miracle after miracle. 
Same faith, same deal. I just have to tell. I'm just going to tell you a really, really brief one because this, this is this is this was so yeah. familiar, yeah. so crazy. So there's a little boy. Um, when Alex, it was the second night after Alex's surgery. There's a little boy. Um, in he was in a car accident and an airbag deployed, and um, caught him and he suffocated. Like he was having, he had brain damage. And they said to his parents, they said he won't. Um, more than likely, he's gonna he'll he'll survive but he's going to have severe brain damage. He more than likely won't be able to walk, never run. Um, and just getting this awful prognosis. Well, his parents are in the next room next to us. Um, and they're crying and upset. And I really felt like God say to me, you need to go, um, go talk to these people. I said, okay. And so I'm not, and again, you have to remember I'm this long haired guy. So I'm, I'm not like, you know, I'm not everybody's normal deal at this point. So I walked in there and was talking to him and they found out the prognosis and everything. I said, I said, you know what? I really feel like I felt like God wanted me to come and pray for you and your son. Would you be okay with that? And they said, well, we really don't believe that. that kind of, I said, well, I said, is it okay if I, is it okay if I just pray? They said, yeah, absolutely. So I prayed. And at that moment, when I, when I laid hands on that kid, I felt, the power of God. I felt that he was healed. I felt, and I didn't see any manifestation of it. But fast forward four weeks and that boy, we were, we were on the same floor and I would walk that floor and I'd talk to his parents every day and I'd talk to him as he was improving and getting better. And around week four, I looked down the hallway and he's walking down the hallway, he's leaving, and he's walking. And he goes, Mr. Michael, can I give you a hug? And I said, absolutely. And he ran to me. He ran and wrapped his arms around me. I don't know, I don't know what happened after that moment. We said, you know, when you're in the hospital with people going through that stuff, you always say you're going to stay connected because we had this deal together. Life just happens and you don't do that. But I know he's healed. And I know that, that he's living, I know that he's probably, what, he's probably 30. And he probably doesn't, doesn't remember a lot about that, but his parents do. I guarantee, I shouldn't say I guarantee, but I, I truly believe that, that that encounter that they had, um, it transformed their life. Yeah. So, you know. That gets me to um, to a moment in time where my life has encountered God. My wife and I's life, we've encountered God. We, we have the presence of God was present when there's so many stories that we have. We just felt different. We felt like, you know. But what the enemy, what the enemy means for harm, God turned around for good because we could have sat in that hospital for nine weeks and said, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to sit here and be, feel sorry for ourselves and feel sorry for our son. But what we did was because we had had an encounter with God is we said, Hey, you know what? Let's, and, and we, we had these thoughts of let's clear the hospital. Like, let's just go pray for everybody and get everybody out of here. Even before we're out of here, let's go, let's just do this. And, um, it was, it was it was just amazing. So I'm going to fast forward just a moment 
to get to my my last the the last real encounter. I shouldn't say not last encounter. I have encounters all the time, but this moment in time. So about two months after we're home, I have to tell you that that when my, before my son went into surgery, before my son had a surgery, I pressed pause on my career in music. I was kind of it was kind of a big I was a, I, I hate to say it like but there was stuff happening. Let's just say that, you know. And um, I told myself I have to take three to six months off. I just, there's too much going on. I just can't with my wife, my son, all stuff. And they said, okay. And so I went back to Nashville. Things are getting back to normal. Um, it was as normal as it can be at this point. Cause like, I'm still sensing God wanting me to do something. And I go to Nashville and I'm basically, I come back and say, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to go. You know? And they said, uh, no, no, you made the wrong decision. You chose your family over your career and you should have chose your career because now we've lost all of our momentum and now you're not going to, you know, we're not going to support you, blah, blah, blah. And you have to understand I was when I have, I guess probably about $150,000 worth of investment in me at that point, maybe 200,000 of people who are literally investing in me as like a professional athlete, um, wanting return on their money. So that's what's happened in Nashville. So now you get back to, back to where you're kind of kicked in the, the gonads <laughs> and you go, um, come back to St. Louis, my, kind of with my tail between my legs, but we said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go at this. You know, you, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is, I'm not done. This is just a setback. We'll go, we'll re we'll regroup. We'll do this, this whole thing. So here comes the next, next encounter with God. So I'm starting to lead worship at this church. I'm, I'm a, mus a musician. So now I'm at this church. Um, it's a big church. It's a big deal to be, you know, be part of the music team at this church. It's a really big deal. And so... I'm part of the music team and I'm up on the platform doing my thing. And, uh, my wife and I go to this meeting and, uh, it was a guest speaker. You gotta be worried. Gotta be, be weary of the guest speaker. So the guest speaker's there and, and he, uh, just, it wasn't any crazy message or anything. It wasn't, it wasn't really about the message, but he's going to have an altar call. And so I sense the Holy Spirit telling me, you need to go up on this altar call. And I'm like, you've, this, this must be pizza. This must be gas. There's no way this is the Holy Spirit. I'm not going up in this, into this deal. Wow. I said, my pride is telling me if I go up, these people who are on the platform, who are up there, who I play music with, they're going to think that I'm getting saved. They're going to think, what is going on with this dude? And so everything in me, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. Finally, I give, I give, and I said, okay, God, you're not, you're unrelenting. I'm done. I go up, go up to the altar call, pray the prayer. At this point, this church has a prayer room in the back. Once you get, once you pray the prayer, then you go back and they have a prayer team that comes and talks to you. It's so funny because I can see the, see the dude's face that, that was there with me. He's probably at that point, he's probably 80, 80 years old. And he's not listening to anything that I'm saying. I'm this long haired guy. He's not listening to anything I'm saying. I'm like, 
he goes, so tonight will you got, you rededicated your, are you, uh, got saved? Also, I said, no, I said, I just found the, found the unction of the Holy spirit. Um, and it was coming back. Um, that's all I did. I said, I'm not here. I did. I've already, I'm already baptized in the Holy spirit. Uh, like he's asked me, do you want to get baptized? In the Holy spirit? Like, no. So there's a lady across the room in this prayer room who is like staring right at me, like right through me. Okay. Have you ever had somebody who's like looking at you, but they're like looking through you? Yes. And I look at her and she makes a beeline for me. Okay. Like literally makes a beeline. And she goes, I have a word for you. Okay. She said, God's telling me to tell you to lay down music. I said, okay. And she walks away. I'm like, that's weird. You know, I'm a professional musician. This is what I do. It's, it's like breathing. And, um, but two minutes later, she's staring at me again and she walks back up and she said, she looked me straight in the eye and she goes, um, God's telling me to tell you to lay down music. And I said, Oh, okay. You know, I get it. I understand what you're saying. You know, basically blown her off. You know, cause I'm like, there's no way, there's no way I'm good. It's like, it's like somebody, you know, it's like somebody who's been a professional athlete. No, I'm not doing that. What are you crazy? So I make my living. It's what I do. Two minutes later, she walks back up to me and she says, um, God's telling me to tell you to lay down music. And I looked at her and I said, I will go home and pray about this. Famous last words. I will go home and pray about this. <laughs> she, she felt release. She goes, I go home. And I pray. And I received confirmation that night that I'm to lay down music. Which at that moment, laying down music was probably equivalent of someone who was going to be a doctor, like just about ready to take their, take the exams and says, I'm done. So I made that decision that I'm going to lay down music. I go tell my wife. My wife is frustrated. She's got to pray it through because this is like we've invested our lives in this. Um, but she says, she'll, she's like, I'll pray through it. I went to my investors, which one of my investors was my father. Um, I went to my my investors and they lost. My my dad MF'd me. He MF'd me. He's like, you can't. He's like, you can't. You can't quit. He's like, we've invested too. I said, I, ha- I, said, I have to. I have to quit. God's telling me I have to quit. And so when I laid down music, I had no idea if I would ever pick up music again. Literally, he told me to lay it down. So I felt like I was supposed to lay it down. But over the past, over the next 26 months, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't sing a song. I didn't play a song. I didn't do any, like I didn't literally didn't do anything. What God was taking me, and I'm going to give you the reader's digest because I know we need to wrap up. Um, God basically showed me how to worship him without music. He showed me how to worship from my spirit, how to worship him, um, in very, very, to take away all instrumentation, take away all the things that I had been trained to do. And, um, fast forward 26 months, he told me, um, so it's like learning how to walk without a leg or learning how to 
to function without your, if you're right with your right arm, like you, your arms cut off, you have to learn how. So I learned how to function in this space. And then one day I'm in church and basically since God say, you need to pick up music again. And I said, to do what? And he said, he said, to bring glory to me in the earth. That's why. He's like, but don't, don't think about it as a profession. Don't think about it. He's like, just go, go worship me, go lead people, go show people me. And I said, okay. And so I pulled together two days later, I had a friend of mine who, and it's another crazy story, but I, we had reconnected people. We had played together in the world music together. And he had shown up to my house or I'm sorry, he showed up at my dad's office just out of the blue. And he's, he was a born again believer, like, two years in all the stuff. And he said, he said, man, if you ever feel like writing music, let's write some music. So God gives me this release on a Friday night. And on Sunday, um, we sat down at a, uh, at my kitchen table and, um, we prayed a prayer. We, we read, God told me we we're in the hospital for nine weeks that we were to read Psalm 138 every day, but at five fifty-five before the doc- doctor came in, Heart surgeons come in at six o'clock on the nose. Um, they're very rigid people. And so we prayed Psalm 138 every day over my son while he was in the hospital for nine weeks. And when we sat down to write a song, when God said, release, you know, it's time to start writing again, start singing again. That was the first thing that we wrote. We wrote a song based on Psalm 138, which has transformed so many people. And basically what Psalm 138 says is that I will praise the Lord. Before kings and men, I will stand. I will sing your praises. At the end of the psalm, it basically says, we praise you before. And that's what God showed me. We have to praise him in everything before we get the answer. So there you go. That's, awesome. not, that's only that's only up till nineteen what? Nineteen ninety eight. Well at, at this rate we have to have six more episodes to cover I'm sorry, the entire I, I apologize. <laughs> no, this is awesome. No, I think this is this is this is wonderful. So hey this is really awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And we will, um, in your words, we'll do this again and we'll hear some more. And I know that we've got some other stuff planned already to get back on here for other, yep. other things too. But Hey, Michael, thank you for being on here today. Absolutely. And for everyone watching and listening, please like share, subscribe. If this has helped you, we would love to, uh, we would love to share the good news with as many people as possible. Hey, with that, We'll talk to you all very soon. Thank you for tuning yeah. in for Changed. Awesome. That's really good. Sorry, it was long. <laughs>